The message tonight will be in two parts. Tonight and next Sunday night, as we speak of on the subject, our homes, on the rock or on the rocks. Turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we want to look at several passages of Scripture tonight. We'll begin with chapter 5, the passage Brother Mike read so beautifully a while ago. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Speaking to yourselves in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then in verse 22, Wives, submit yourself unto your own husband. Verse 25, Husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church. Chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment of promise. And if you would turn your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4, we read an interesting story in the life of the man of God. Elisha performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did. He received the mantle of spiritual power, but also the mantle of the human spirit that was so much part of Elijah. Elisha received a double portion. And he performed these miracles. And he visited a certain widow's home and, or, or a certain home and that lady wanted so much to have a son. And so he prayed and God said, you tell her you'll ha she'll have a son next year. He told her this and the son came. Well, in the course of the years that followed, the son got very sick. And we take up that story in Ephesians, in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. She didn't even tell her husband. She just knew she had to get to the man of God. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me except I bid thee. So she went and came into the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, It is well. Now you could easily say she told a lie. Her son was dead. But by faith she said, it is well. She believed God. God had given her a son of promise. 
Elisha, the man of God, had promised it. She had built a little prophet's chamber, and from time to time, Elisha would come there and stay. And he knew the young man as he was growing up. And on this particular day, with a severe headache, we do not know what the ailment was, but he died. She took her boy and laid him on the prophet's chamber bed and went to get the man of God. And when the man of God sent his servants to say, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy son? She said, It is well. And if you'll notice what she said to her husband. Her husband said, Why are you going to see the man of God? It's not new moon or Sabbath. Why are you going? She avoided his question. She said, It shall be well. This is a tremendous demonstration of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to build Christian home. There's a scripture text. The deep truth, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? Families are so precious here. There may be some who are not comfortable around their families. But when trouble comes, when sorrow comes, they call the family. I was with a family the other day. There had been a death. They had not seen the other member of the family for 10 years. Didn't even know where he was. They asked me if I could help find the, father, the, the, the son that was away. You see, the first thing they thought of when death came, we got to get the family together. Family members, you are very, very important. Husband, wife, children. May there be no alienation so that when death comes, there are terrible regrets. Sometimes there's trouble at school. Sometimes there's serious illness. Sometimes there's serious trouble. Sometimes there's jail. Sometimes there's death. What it hurt is when death comes and separates families. And we wonder, will the circle be unbroken? But there's also a hurt when the family goes on the rocks. I would like to present some truths that will keep the family off the rocks and on the rock. And I pray you will open your heart. Some in this room are married, your young father or mother. Some have been parents for many, many years. Your children are half grown or all grown. Maybe some of you have children and grandchildren that live away from you. This message is appropriate for all of us. Whether we're considering having a family or whether we've already had the family and we look back. So as we think together, let me first of all enumerate some principles that will defy the rocks. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. That rock is Jesus himself. I believe he wants our families to be built on the rock, which is Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Now the first principle, and sometimes God overrules this, 
and blesses anyway. We referred to that this morning. Christians are to marry Christians. When you find somebody to marry, marry somebody that's saved, that has the same understanding about God that you have. Basically, not just a Christian, but someone whose Christian ideals and understandings are very much like yours. There are quite a few problems when a Baptist marries a Catholic. Severe problems. We don't have time to go into that tonight. Or when a Baptist marries a Mormon. Or a, a um, Jehovah's Witness. My mother was a Baptist, a godly, godly woman. She always was godly. From her youth up. Her mother used to tell me about how godly Lessie was as a girl. She gave her heart to Jesus when she was seven years old. They thought that she shouldn't be baptized for a while and finally when she was 16, they let her be baptized. When she was 13, she was teaching Sunday school. My mother felt God called her to be a missionary. She went to the seminary in Louisville to prepare. And while she was there, she met a soldier boy who was of Methodist background and at that time not saved. They fell in love with each other. They were married. She never got away from the understanding of her call. Many, many times she would try to have Bible reading and prayer in the home and couldn't. So she got her children together. And we met around the old piano. That piano had been in her possession 70 years when she died. And she would teach us little songs like this. All my burdens rolled away when I saw the Lord, and so on. And little choruses. And she put those in our heart. We memorized scriptures together. Our father would listen. He didn't get involved. Years went by, and in his old age, it was my mother's constant faith that sanctified him, set him apart for a special dealing with God. And one day, Dr. Clyde Gordon talked with him about Jesus, and he indicated to Brother Gordon he was trusting Christ as his Savior. He left us in 1970 to go to be with God. Now, God sometimes works it out like that. I could give you story after story of somebody who marries wrong. And they get together for a little while. And then the whole castle crumbles in. So the first principle, Christians need to marry Christians. In 2 Corinthians 6, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's God's plan and will. Secondly, Christians should seek the direct leading of God about marriage and others. Look in your Bible at John chapter 16, verse 13. Listen to this. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak for himself, of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. 
I believe that in preparation for marriage, there needs to be godly counsel. I want to give you two illustrations, and I've probably given them to you before, but they're striking in my heart. At teen time, every Sunday night for 36 years, maybe 37, there come people from all over town, and they meet with us, and they sing with us, and we have one of the young men preach, and God blesses. In all those 37 years, I've not preached on the broadcast one time. We've always had a young man that God is, has his hand on, and he's preached. Tonight, Eric Martin will be preaching on teen time. Well, there came a beautiful young lady to that teen time broadcast, and she was very beautiful, very radiant. One of our young men named Bob Norman, a preacher boy, he's pastor for many years now in East Kentucky. After teen time, he said, who is that pretty girl up there? I said, well, I think her name is Elaine. He said, I want you to introduce me. I'm going to marry her. Never met her before. Never didn't even know her name. Now, Elaine was a Methodist. And I said, Elaine, I want you to meet this young man, fine young man, Bob Norman. They met and immediately, God put a love in their hearts for each other. One day, she came to me. She said, I've got to have some help. Well, I said, Elaine, what kind of help do you need? She said, well, Bob's a Baptist and I'm a Methodist, and he told me he wouldn't marry me until I became a Baptist. I said, amen. <laughs> I said, wouldn't it be an awful thing if he's going to preach in a church and he's going to be a pastor all of his life, and his wife's a Methodist. So I explained to her the difference between Baptist and Methodist. I could do that real well because I used to be a Methodist. And I explained to her what that meant. She said, well, I've always believed that anyway. She had no problem at all. So she gave not only her heart to the Lord, but she gave her life to the doctrines that are so precious in the Word of God. I had the honor of baptizing her. Later, I had the honor of marrying them. And they've been in the Lord's work all these years, have grown children now. That's far different from another young man came to teen time. And there was a girl here that came to teen time. And he met her. He didn't say a word to me about it. She didn't say a word to me about it. I had already counseled her, and of course I'd counseled him many times. He said he felt called to preach. About two weeks later, he came to me and said, I'm going to marry that girl, and I want you to marry me, marry us. I said, well, I, you've only known each other two or three weeks, and uh, I don't feel uh, comfortable marrying you all at this time. Well, he tried to persuade me that I should do it. I want to tell you, I'm many times wrong, but sometimes I'm right. I have a discernment in my heart as to whether things are right or wrong. And I said to him, I want you to wait a year. If you still love her and she loves you in a year, then maybe I'll marry you. He got mad at me. He moved his membership to another church 
got that preacher to marry them, and in one year he was divorced. He rejected godly counsel. The second principle of helping, helping your home to stay on the rock and not on the rocks is to get godly counsel. Godly counsel from the Lord and from somebody you can trust. Thirdly, churches need a genuine heart agreement. So do Christians and so do husbands and wives. In Amos chapter 3 verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? There must be an agreement in their lives, an agreement on ideals, on values, on friendships, a, an agreement on cultures. Now, some of you may not like what I'm going to say, and I love you anyway. I believe there's a big, big problem when blacks and whites marry. Their culture is so different. And their home background is so different. Many times when a white girl marries a black man, and I know some wonderful, wonderful black men. I'm not against them. I'm not prejudiced. We're, our church was the first integrated church in Bowling Green. When we had a black preacher come and preach here, one of our deacons got very upset with me and said, this is a white church. I said, when do we vote to make it a white church? Somebody, we received somebody, got saved, and we baptized them. Somebody said, well, when do we vote to have black people? I said, when do we vote not to? But I'm telling you what I believe the scripture teaches. The culture is so different. And when a white girl marries a black guy, either her family has to agree and feel like that's good or there'll be an alienation. And either his family must agree and feel like that's good, or there'll be an alienation. And basically, unless a couple are way out of the will of God, or, or families are way out of the will of God, I believe that a son and daughter ought to seek the okay of mom and dad before they get married. They need to go to dad. And mom and say, what do you think of Joy? What do you think of Mary? What do you think of Harry? I'm thinking about marrying them. What do you think? Well, if your parents had sense enough to bring you into the world and had sense enough to feed you and nourish you and educate you and counsel you and change your diapers and help you through teen life and help you to adult life, don't you think they've got sense enough to give you some guidance about that? Cultural differences. Differences in values. Our values need to be similar. If you marry somebody who believes in abortion, what are you going to do when that woman wants to have an abortion? And you have grown up believing that's murder. What will you do? No wonder there are divorces. When you marry somebody that drinks, 
And you have known all along that wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. At last it biteth like a serpent, stingeth like an adder. What are you going to do? Same values. Find out ahead of time if they want to have children. Years ago, I would not reveal the name for anything. There was a man and woman here in Bowling Green. They both loved the Lord. They seemingly loved each other. But the wife did not want to have children. And the husband did. What would they do? They went through life childless. Until midlife crisis struck. And then there was infidelity. Find out ahead of time what kind of values the one you're seeking to marry has. The Baptist and the Catholic has, have different foundations. The Catholic Church operates from the foundation of the church and the Bible. If one, if one contradicts the other, they believe the church, no matter what. Baptists operate from the foundation of the Bible. If the church doesn't agree with the Bible, the church needs to be brought into tow with the Word of God. A believer and a non-believer. A separated Christian and one who is not. Trouble ahead. Number four. Christians need to accept the Bible standard for marriage. Now, <laughs> you may not agree with this. I'm just giving you the word of God, what it says. Wives... Submit yourself unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now the Baptists at Salt Lake City took a strong stand on this. And we made international headlines. And many of the Baptist state papers accused our Southern Baptist Convention of meddling into things that was not their business when they took the stand that wives need to submit to their own husband, they were simply quoting Ephesians 5. And beloved, this is what the Word of God says. It's one of the principles. I would say godly women like that principle. They want it. The feminists don't like it. The uh, women for the American way don't like it. The ACLU don't like it. And sometimes people are known by their friends. If they're your friends, you won't like it either. We do not need the ERA philosophy. We need women who will love their husband and will honor him and submit to him and let him occupy the role of leader. Now, the other side of that coin Husband, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Can you imagine 
a husband loving his wife and beating her. He must be out of his mind, belongs in jail. Can you imagine a husband loving his wife and going off and getting drunk and taking the money from the family and letting the wife and children almost starve to death while he goes and takes care of his own pet peeves and drinks? Can you imagine a husband that loves his wife and his wife loves Jesus and she says, honey, let's go to church. I don't want to go to church. You go on, that's just for sissies. I don't believe you love your wife, husband, if you do that. A husband that loves his wife will love God. You know what love is talking about here? It isn't speaking of eros or phileo, physical love or fellowship kind of love. It's talking about God's love. Husband, have agape for your wife. What is that? Agape led Jesus to the cross. He died to himself. Paul said, I die daily. When you really love, love never ends. Somebody said, and you can decide whether it's true or not. Somebody said, if you say, I used to love Mary or Harry, you're lying. Because love never ends. It goes on. Now, I acknowledge that there are some people who turn away from your love. A husband will come home and say, I don't love you anymore. A wife will come home and say, I don't love you anymore. And they go dabble in the things of the world and in all kinds of relationships. I would say that love spark continues there. And it hurts. You know what hurts the heart of God? When we trample underneath our feet, the blood of Jesus, God's only remedy for sin, God's outpouring of love, and we spit in his face and say, I don't need you. I can go on and do what I want to do. It hurts the heart of God, and God has no place for you but eternal hell. Look in your Bible in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. It's an awful thing when husbands and wives cannot live together in unity. The victims are always the children. But notice there's another victim Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. There are a lot of things I do not know by experience, but I know them from observation. When I was growing up in our home, thank God my mother and father stayed together. They didn't divorce. They didn't leave each other. Uh, sometimes argued. I'm sure almost every home has had that. But my father honored our mother. And when we got to the age of seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and long in that, there were five of us. Our dad would tell, take my mother into the front room after a meal, 
Say, you know, you sit down in that rocking chair, the children, the kids will do the dishes and they'll clean the kitchen. And she didn't want to do that, but he almost made her. And we'd get in there and one would wash the dishes, another would dry them, another would put them away. And pretty soon we were throwing the dishes. I don't guess you've ever seen kids do that. They'd wash the dishes and throw it over to be dried and then throw it over to be put away. And guess how many times we broke dishes? Scores of times. But our dad would keep mother in the other room and say, that's not your job. We need to train them to know how to do that. By the same token, he took us down to the farm and trained us how to grub the locusts and how to bale the hay and how to pick the, the corn and all the other stuff. Now, he didn't teach the girls how to do that. He taught the guys. He didn't teach the girls how to cut the grass. He taught us how to do But he said, men, one day you're going to have a home and you need to be a helpmate to your wife. You need to learn all these things. Now, one of our guys the other night told me his mother, his dad wouldn't let him wash the dishes. Well, that's good. I understand that. But remember, it's important to be a helpmate in the home. Those are principles. That's all the time I'm going to have tonight. And I want to tell you, the real, real principle is Jesus as Lord. If He's your Lord, all these things will fall into place. If He is Lord, you'll know how to repent. A husband and wife need to know how to repent. A boyfriend and a girlfriend need to know how to repent. A children need to know how to repent. This is one of the great principles. And if we cannot repent toward God, we're not going to repent toward people. And if children cannot say to mom and dad, I'm sorry, they're not going to say it to God. Because you are God to them until they come to know God. And some of our kids, our, our parents, let children go through life never repenting. Never saying, I'm sorry. If you're not saved tonight, I plead with you to come to Christ. If you're already a Christian, would you anchor your soul in the haven of rest? And let Jesus be your guide and your guard. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to ask Teddy to come and sing one stanza of that great song, I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. And as he sings it, this is the conclusion part of our service. The question is, have you anchored your soul in Christ? Do you really know him? Brother Lloyd sang earlier today, my anchor holds. It's not going to hold until you place your anchor in Jesus. Would you do it tonight? My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, Make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest. I've anchored.
comfort my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail, though I'll cease no more. The tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep, but in Jesus I'm safe evermore. The invitation is simply this, if you're not a Christian, if you've never been saved, no matter what age you are, come to Christ tonight. And if you're a Christian and you've been away, maybe on the periphery, and God's been dealing with your heart, and you want to come back home to Him tonight, step out and come. God will bless you. There'll be new joy. And I want to tell you, the Heavenly Father is waiting, waiting on side of the hill watching for you to come home. Will you come while we begin to sing, do what God tells you to do. <laughs>